Thank you for tuning into Love Dripping from the Walls. I am your host, Elizabeth Ann Cunningham, and you are listening to Season 4, Episode 3. On this season, we are talking about the as-lived experience of people who are Black, Indigenous, people of color, and also LGBTQ. I, along with my fabulous co-host, Jamie Smith, will be joined by people sharing their stories. This episode in particular is answering the question, what are your biggest concerns as someone who is BIPOC and LGBTQ? The goal of this episode and the season is that people who can relate to these stories feel seen, heard, and that they aren't alone. That those people who can't fully relate can understand life from different perspectives. And that in accomplishing both of these things, that we experience a greater connection as people. Did you know that Love Dripping from the Walls now has merch? Go ahead and click down to the episode notes and buy your hats, hoodies, beanies, masks for Love Dripping from the Walls and other Love merch. Also, whenever you buy Love merch, you support organizations around the world. Currently, we are supporting Autism Compassion Africa. So as you shop, you give back. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the episode. All right. So welcome to episode three of Love Dripping from the Walls, episode three on season four. Heck yeah. Thank you guys for being a part of my season four. It's all about the intersectionality of Black, Indigenous, people of color, and LGBTQ plus people. So in talking about the intersectionality of this group of people, Our goal is that the people who have this experience have some sort of experience inside of this that you feel heard and seen and connected and that the people who don't fall into that category, that you gain some insight, knowledge, education to other people's experiences and that we can all be connected in our shared humanity, regardless of what our experiences are, that we're really just like, wow, we're really just all humans trying to do our best. And so thank you all so much for being here. We're going to have everyone introduce themselves as they speak for the first time. And I'm going to hand it over to my co-host, Miss Jamie Smith. If you missed the badass introduction of Miss Jamie Smith, Please go back <laughs> to episode one. This woman is a badass and a half. You don't even know. You don't even know. Just to give you a little insight, I met Jamie when she was running for city council in Renton, Washington. That is when I met Jamie. And that's like the, a minuscule thing of like how cool things that she's done. So <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Like and I'm mortified every single time, but I love it. So please keep it going. I need to learn how to take how to take compliments. So I am working on that. So um, thank you so much, and I am so thrilled to be uh, the co-host for for this season of Love Dripping from the Walls. I um, my favorite ice cream is Cherry Jubilee from Baskin Robbins. Fight not. Um, you know, 
I think that stuff is awesome. And I have a Starbucks guava black tea lemonade addiction that is very, very serious. So, um, you know, those things are awesome. For this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more, a little bit deeper into the questions of, of the intersection between, you know, black and brown indigenous POCs and LGBTQ plus identities and experiences. Last episode, we talked a little bit about intersectionality from an academic standpoint, but this time we're kind of digging into it on visceral and real level. And so this idea, this topic is about what are your biggest concerns, you know, as a Black or Indigenous person of color and an LGBTQ person. And so, and that, that, that shows up in a couple of different ways for us, you know, for, for someone like me who is Black and female and pansexual, but tends to, tends to date heterosexual, I have a privilege that, you know, people don't really know that I'm, that I'm part of the queer community until I open my mouth and I start advocating for those types of things. So my concerns are like, geez, you know, that beautiful stud won't date me because I'm too femme. Like, you know, it's like, the, it's those types of things. Whereas, you know, you might have a different experience for someone who is, you know, who is newly transitioning or, you know, someone who is, who is open and, and, you know, it, or Elizabeth walking down the street with her partner. So it's those types of things that we want to examine today in, in this session, you know, and we're so thankful to have all of you here to help us kind of examine those things. So that'll be teed that up. What do you think, Elizabeth? We start doing introductions? Yeah. So the question is, you know, what are your biggest concerns? And so it really is just like, who wants to share first? Mm-hmm. But, and I really love to open it up to a discussion of like, what are your biggest concerns? And as an aside from what Jamie said, as well as that, as Jamie and I have a lot of passing privilege, like obviously I have the most privilege and passing privilege of this group since I am white. And so what I, what my role is in this is really just to listen. And I really love to just open it up to create sharing and what your experiences are and what your biggest concerns are. And also when you introduce yourself, maybe say, like, why? Like, why, why did you want to, why did you choose to be on this episode? And then share, share what some of your biggest concerns are. So who would like to share? I'll go first. Yay, Paul! (laughs) Well, I'm uh, Paul Anthony Martinez. And one of the biggest reasons why I decided to be on this particular episode is uh, I am a Latin and I come from New Mexico, but now live in Washington. And I relate more to my feminine side. Uh, There's been huge impacts on me. um, And I feel like if I can share my story with other people and just show them that, you know, it does get better. And even though it never stops, it does get better. Mm-hmm. And so that's one reason why I decided to do this. And uh, my favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, just as an aside, before I started, before I hit record, I was like, everybody can share their favorite ice cream, ice cream flavor because I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, like one of my biggest concerns is really fitting in. You know, I like I said, I am Latin, but I really can't hide my feminine qualities. Uh, my voice is a lot softer. Um, a lot of times when I'm talking on the phone, people think I'm a girl. Um, so a lot of times people call me Paula 
And so it's, it's really hard, you know, to fit in with the Latin community. Cause I mean, I love the Latin community. I love the culture. I love the food and stuff like that. But sometimes when I go to like, I, I grew up in the ballroom scene and try to try to put on that masculine, I guess, uh, side of me is a little bit more challenging and to not to be judged based off of being feminine. And that, that has been a huge challenge for me. And then, you know, I really want to embrace my feminine side, but also I sometimes get judged in the gay community as well for being too feminine, you know? And so it's kind of like a double-edged sword for me. Yeah, I guess I'll piggyback off that, off of what Paul said. My name is Brian Prince. Uh, I'm an actor and athlete from, well, now I live in Seattle, Washington. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up there. I lived there since I was like seven. And favorite ice cream, <laughs> probably chocolate chip cookie dough. <laughs> but if you took out the chocolate chips and replaced it with like Oreo stuff, uh, like, that that would, I don't know if that exists, but they should get on it. And then <laughs> a coffee thing. And I just wanted to say that, like, because I think this actually kind of plays into what we're all talking about. Mm-hmm. My favorite coffee drink is a pumpkin spice latte. If that makes me basic, I don't even You're care. so basic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. I, so, so for me, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Like the, the the concern thought. I think there's definitely this like idea of not blank enough. I think I might have talked about this last week, but I definitely feel like so. My, one of my closest friends, I went to art school with Sage Coffee. They're an amazing comics uh, creator and editor from Chicago. When I was coming out and going through a lot of the struggles, one thing Sage would often say to me is, there's nothing more queer than thinking you're not queer enough. (laughs) And it was something that really, really helped me when I was struggling through times because I I often felt myself in this this place of thinking like, like I'm trying to be more authentic to who I want to be. And sometimes I don't even know what that is. And and it's, it's, it's tough dealing with that. And, And I think one of the hardest things about it is it would take me back to, days when I was younger, like in middle school, and that's how I felt regarding my race. So I'm, I'm Black, African-American, like however, you know, whatever you want to call it. But like, I can't explain how often my youth was filled with me just feeling like, yes, I'm Black on the outside, yet I'm constantly, I feel like I was constantly being pulled down from both sides. So similar to what Paul was saying about like fitting into like his community, I definitely felt that like the, the black kids in my school and community would be like, you don't act black enough. And the white kids would be like, why do you act so white? And it was just this really annoying thing because in my head, I'm just like trying to be. And I think that's like an aspect of privilege that a lot of people don't talk about. Cause we often talk about the very extreme, like obvious parts of what privilege looks like. But for me as a kid, it was just like the privilege of getting to just exist without having to pretend or having to feel like you're putting on some kind of, act by just literally wanting to be who you are is, is, is a real thing for me. And so I think, yeah, like one of my concerns is that since coming out, I often find myself in spaces where I feel like I'm almost, am I like trying to overcorrect now? Like, am I trying to put on something else? Like, like the fight for authenticity, I think is a constant struggle. So. That really resonates with me. My name is Vanessa. I go by V. I'm a herbalist and an artist based in Seattle. I'm from California. But what Brian that was speaking just now, I really resonate with what you're saying about feeling like you 
like every space that you're in is like, am I doing enough? Am I queer enough? Am I, I'm Filipino. Am I, am I like being Filipino enough? Like I don't really connect with like my culture that much, even though I really want to. And I think it's kind of this idea of like having to come out forever. That's a huge concern for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like just the fact that people are always like, I think people, when they look at me, they're like, yeah, that person's queer. Um, But like, it's like, oh, but they have boobs. So they're a woman. And so I think just automatically people look at somebody who is like a woman or passing as a woman and automatically think like, oh, that person must be straight. So they like ask me about like a boyfriend or like, you know, and and then it's just awkward and weird because I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) that's not who I am. But it's weird because in different spaces, I feel safer, you know, being like, yeah, I, I'm queer. Actually, I'm queer. But then in, I find in other spaces, like workspaces or certain family spaces, uh, I don't feel comfortable. And so I find myself lying and being dishonest, which feels really gross and icky. And then I'm like, oh, I'm being a bad queer because I'm not standing up for myself and, you know, telling people, no, this is who I am. But it's like, it's that feeling of like, what do I prioritize being honest about my identity or my safety? And I always feel like I'm, I'm struggling with those two things. Yeah. I'll I'll jump in real quick. Uh, My name is Caleb Laird. I'm a person that likes to be outside a lot. And I recently realized that I'm a farmer gardener. So that's been fun to uh, unlock. My mom's a horticulture major. My mom's been, her whole body's green. So I finally gave in to my birthright, I guess. Um, my favorite ice cream is pretty basic. I like vanilla bean, but if it has peanut butter in it, I'll eat it as well. Right. Uh, <laughs> my, my, coffee order is, uh, my coffee order is I like a nice white chocolate raspberry iced Americano, which is a little oh. bit of cream. <laughs> yeah, I, iced coffee year round. I, I can definitely relate to, no, I'm, I am mixed. My mom's white, my dad was black. So I don't think of myself as black or white. I've always grew up being mixed. And it's been an interesting experience because I was raised white. It's, I've never felt like I fit in with the black community. And I've never really felt like I fit in with the white community because of how brown I am. And I can, I can definitely relate to being like, oh, well, I'm not one or the other. I'm both. But how do I navigate that? Uh, like, Brian said to just exist. Like, I just want to be me. I don't want to be labeled black, white, mixed. Like, I'm also transgender, so that's where I fit into the community uh, now. And like V said, where it's just like certain spaces I feel safe being myself in and certain spaces I I don't want to out myself because that could lead to very bad things for me. So it's it's been a struggle of, okay, am I going to be authentic to myself or am I going to be safe? Especially as far as now being uh, viewed by society as a, as a black man, that's a scary thing every day versus before when I was presenting as female. And, you know, I felt like it still wasn't safe, but it was definitely safer than being a black man in America these days. So hi everyone, my name is Poppy. I grew up and come from Taiwan. And right now I'm in uh, New York. Although my name is Poppy, I have two cats. So yeah, that, that's one of the fun facts I have. 
My favorite ice cream flavor is Earl Grey. Okay. Yeah. I, I like, yeah. <laughs> and I like all black. That's the best coffee. Okay. <laughs> okay. Puppy is yes. sophisticated. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I agree to, you know, be on the series because I think Elizabeth is really a passionate person who really wanted to you know, contribute to this world to make this world a better place. And I am truly touched by, you know, her idea and her passion on this. So here I am. And I think my biggest concern is how can we be ourselves in this world full of labels? Like, you know, from gender, I am a female, I'm born female, but I don't see myself, you know, fitting any gender. Um, so basically, I'm a, like a gender non-conforming person, but the society wants us to, you know, label ourselves. You have to go to a men's restroom or a women's restroom. And then until we have, you know, like gender neutral restroom, but that is not everywhere. And there are still, you know, places where like some states is so conservative and they even ban this type of restroom and you cannot go into any restroom where you identify yourself as. So yeah, that, that's pretty awful and sad. And then in terms of, you know, ethnicity, I'm an Asian, but I don't really see colors when I'm, you know, getting along with other people. We are all human. I don't understand why we have to, you know, be with our Asian peers and, you know, stay away from, you know, people that is not of our kind. We, we see this kind of division every day. We are trying to, you know, form all us and them, but that is not, you know, how this world is functioning. We are all human. We are supposed to, you know, unite as one and listen to each other and care for each other. And for sexuality, it's another level. I, I identify myself as a lesbian at first, but then I feel like I'm a queer because I also dated men in the past, although it didn't work out. I mean, I, I love women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I just can't, you know, fall in love with men. I tried. I can tell you why. I can tell you why. <laughs> yeah, I, because, you, you know, I, I hate people, like some, some of my friends said, you are not lesbian enough. And I feel like, okay, what's, what's wrong? I'm not dyke enough. I'm not, you know, masculine enough or anything like that. Why we have to, you know, label ourselves and try to be someone we are not. I, it, even though I, I look like a, like a man, but I can be, you know, really girlish. I want to cuddle. I want to be a, like a little girl, <laughs> sometimes in front of my partner. I think that's totally fine. We are on a spectrum of everything. We are not on a, extreme you know and like that but this world is so you know labeled like and we, we how can we be our true self when the whole world want us to be one thing or a certain things that is my biggest concern yeah. yeah totally i feel i really feel that like how you're saying how you identified as lesbian and now you identify as queer i really feel yeah. that because when i first came out 
I was with a woman. I mean, I'm with women. I feel the yeah. same way you do about how I can't fall in love with a guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, but it was so hard because I feel like our society is so like caught on to labels. They like you like have to define yourself. If you yeah. don't define yourself, people like freak out. And my biggest concern is that we hold on to those. And what I've learned is that my life is so much freer and better because I am, I'm not like stuck on that anymore. And I understand that like sexuality, gender is fluid and like going more with the flow and like realizing that like every day is different. And right now I identify as queer and uh, non-binary, but who knows how I'm going to feel like in five years or even like in a month, you know? And I just wish people could like have their minds be more malleable because they just get so stuck onto that idea of like, it has to be this way or that way. Yeah. It's like how we, we, I don't know, it's like language. We, we, we so badly want to use language to define everything because it like creates this sense of security in our brains. Of like, I know what this thing is because I can define it and I can talk about it. I can say what it is. But I think one of the scariest things about life is it's, that's just, that ain't it. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I think that something's going to come up. That's what's happened every other day. But I don't know that. Choose a myth, yeah. you know? And, and so I think, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard being a person of color and LGBTQ because it's, it's, it's like two things where you have to confront that whole, like, you know, I don't know. And especially, so I can speak from my Black experience. It was just strange that in high school how, like, when, like, I, I have a seed of resentment for Chappelle's show. I'm, I'm gonna be honest, like unpopular opinion, because like I, that was the moment when I realized I was different. Because I mean, I already, I knew, I knew I had I had racial moments before that, but that was like the biggest moment in high school when suddenly like I had all these white kids like asking me to wiki explain every sketch, and I'm like, yo, we grew up in the same neighborhood. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand it either. But instead of me just like being, oh, ha ha, I don't get it. Now, like, I'm losing credibility in a thing that I didn't even know I was mm-hmm. in. And suddenly, like, and so it's just strange, like, being in that space of, like, oh, I just got here and already I feel like I'm behind on the homework or something. And I just think, like, so when I came out and I started finding myself in more queer spaces and then, or, or even in the non-queer spaces when I would be asked questions, it's like I was being tests, tested where suddenly it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm queer, I'm, I'm gay, I'm, I'm dating men now. And people were like, oh, well, like, what about this? How does this work? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, yo, I just got here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to be happy. Why are you asking me so many questions? <laughs> yeah. It's a journey. I feel like we don't just stay in one space. I can really relate to what a lot of you were saying, you know, like growing up in a very strong Latin community. I felt like I had to be a certain way to be safe. So I had like a goatee and I had like long hair and I'd pull it back and I was in a rap group. But deep down inside, I was at home dressing up like a girl and like total opposite. But I couldn't do that and be my normal self. And, you know, going through my phases, I do find myself now like relating more to my feminine side. But at the same time, I am currently training for a bodybuilding competition. And people are like, okay, when, where are you at now? Like, are you femme or are you mask? And I'm like, no, I'm just me. Like, yeah. it, it changes. And it's really hard when people try to put you in a box when you don't really know what the box is. 
and you don't want to be in a box. So yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel. Definitely. Like I, uh, like I came out as gay when I was 17 cause I, I knew I liked girls. And so I started really becoming part of, cause I grew up in Washington. I grew up uh, about, uh, half an hour south of Seattle. So it was just a quick bus ride up to Seattle, up to like the LGBTQ drop-in center up there as a, you know, late teens, early twenties and surrounded myself with a lot of that, like, baby gay young dyke community and I was part of that for like the next 10 years until I was like okay actually it's probably time to come out now as trans and so I was it was kind of a weird transition being from okay here's who I've been and here's who everybody that I've known for the last 10 years has known me as versus okay now they have to get used to a new name and a new pronoun and I've been out socially for like six years now or something and I've been out uh transitioned medically for only a couple and it's been hard for other people to shift from knowing me then to know me now and and they're they I feel like some people take advantage of the fact that oh it's new to me I I don't know I'm gonna mess up give me grace and I, I have a handful of people in my life that have known for over five years who I am now and yet they it's almost like it pains them to gender me correctly and that they're just like, well, I don't understand it. I, I try, but you don't, you, it's very obvious that they don't try and they try to fit me into the idea of who they think I am or who they want me to be versus, Hey, I am literally showing you who I am. And it's harder. I think too, as you know, somebody that's Brown, because I feel like a lot of the, attention is on the cis passing white trans guys you see them having a lot bigger followings you see them being kind of like the the poster children of trans masculine people so it's not even like there's a lot of people that even look like me that are on the stage of here's what it's like to be a trans man and it's, it's really really rough to even try to find where my voice in that goes because like i'm not I, I'm not like super out, like, hey, I'm trans, like, because a lot of it is, I just don't feel safe. So I only come out when it's it's safe for me to do so. Like, I'm not really like some people at work know because that's where I really started transitioning medically uh, when I got my new job. But I, most of the people who've known me over the last three years don't know unless I tell them. And it's just kind of weird to be like, okay, I'm not ashamed of being trans. I'm not embarrassed or anything. But it's also not something that I necessarily hear you know hear who i am here's who i am it's just a weird balance of am i am i trans enough am i out enough am i vocal enough and that's why i'm i'm on this and i've you know talked to elizabeth before because i want other little you know black or mixed or you know trans guys of color to know that we have just as much of a voice in this community and in this world as our cis passing white privileged trans guys. And yeah. I'm, I, you know, if, if, if I, if this gives one, you know, little black trans guy permission to be themselves and I'm happy. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of like stuff about like safety and, and coming out and, uh, even just being in this room with you all, it's it's very cathartic. Uh, just hearing yeah. other people being like, "Yeah, me too." So appreciate that. Yeah, 
I don't, yeah, I think it's really good to hear people, other LGBT POC folks say that they, that struggle of like wanting to be authentic with everyone you meet, but also wanting to keep yourself safe because that is a huge thing for people who are queer, um, LGBTQ plus, um, is like maintaining your safety, like your physical safety, your spiritual, mental safety. Yeah, there's just, there's so much that people can do that is very hurtful. And especially in like job, I'm always very cautious in like work settings, who I come out to and how I present myself, which I wish I didn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. But you just never know. Like people can be to your face, like, yeah, I'm chill with you being queer. But then like, you know, have implicit bias or, you know, do things towards you that are really minuscule that other people would look at and be like, no, it's not that they don't like you. And it's like, no, there's something happening here because they found out I was queer, you know? Yeah. It's connected to that a lot. Cause like, I didn't, I didn't come out until I was like 29. So it was nuts watching in my community, like me having conversations with people I had known for 10, 12 years that suddenly we're like, oh, I'm not going to treat you any different. I'm like, you are right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, okay. Oh, okay. Like, interesting. Whereas like, and then I was really surprised by some people who were like, oh, like, tell me about that. How's your life yeah. now? And I was like, oh, wow. Like you're, you're interested in who I am now. And, and, yeah. I, and, and, and one, the uh, like safety talk, what, one thing that brought brought up in my mind is how and i don't know how many other people feel about this i know I, I definitely do is like there's that that saying that you hear in a black household a lot where we gotta uh, you know work twice as hard for half the credit call it as political as you want i think the obama presidency was the definition of that it's like how hard you have to work just to get half the credit as the other person right and i think in that in that idea like there's something about and at least from my perspective of it's, it's not just, I'm not just carrying my legacy. I'm carrying my family's and it's so tough writing that balance of like, okay, I want to be me and I want to be authentic. But then it's this whole, like, like, I don't know, like it's, it, I don't know how I feel so strange admitting that in terms of like safe spaces and spaces where I feel comfortable being out and open like around family, it's the least. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, that, like it hurts to say that, but it's true. That's a conversation I've had a lot recently because I've been, I feel like I've been, I don't know, maybe it's the season, just dealing with a lot of like inner child wounds and processing yeah. uh, pain and trauma that I've experienced from my parents. Like trying to confront that because I've always felt like, I'm like the black sheep of my family. I'm an artist, the only artist in my family, the only queer person, always trying to like, like go outside of the traditional way and like do things my way, which has caused a lot of tension between me and my family and desperately wanting to be close to them. But how do I be close to people who just, I don't think, I don't think they're intentional about it, obviously but they don't really see me and they don't get me and the experiences that I've had and the, the like life, the path that I'm walking, they'll never understand that because they're not clear. I mean, there's just struggles that uh, queer people like have to endure about like this safety thing. Like I'm imagine cis people aren't sitting there like, 
well, I can't tell that person I'm straight because then I'll be unsafe. Like that's not happening for them. And so that, that is just a, like a level of trauma that, that queer people just have because how icky it is to have to constantly be walking on eggshells, making sure that the people you're being truthful to aren't going to like then like stab you in the back or come after you uh, in a hurtful way. Yeah, I actually, I mean, hormones by three years because I was so afraid of how people in my family and the people that I call family would react. And it came to a point where it was almost like, am I going to spend the rest of my life being uncomfortable just so they're not uncomfortable? Or am I going to force them to confront their problems by being truthful to me? And it it took three years to get there just because I genuinely love and care about these people. And, you know, they're, they're telling me to my face that they genuinely love and care about me and respect me, yet they can't even gender me properly or they can't use the name that I tell them properly. And, and it just came to the point where I was like, I love you, but I can't keep living for you because that's not living my life. And this is my experience and what I, you know, Maybe I only get one shot at it as who I am now, but I can't spend the next 40, 50 years not being truthful to that. And it was a really scary thing to be like, am I going to lose everybody that loves me by doing this? Thankfully, I haven't. Some people I have, some people I haven't. And it's their loss anyway, because I'm awesome. But yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, it does impact us. You know, right now, something that I'm dealing with is next month is my father's birthday and he passed. And right before he passed, like a year before he passed, like for the longest time, I refused to talk to him. Mainly, and it was mainly because like he just would not really talk to me about, he would never ask me questions about, you know, me being gay. It was just a subject we did not talk about. Like if I brought it up, he would sidestep it and go to a different direction. But it was okay for him to talk about women around me. And so it was just one of those things that I kind of pushed him away. And it was until the, like the last year before he passed that we finally had the conversation and you know, got complete on it. But like so many years went by that I just didn't have that relationship with him. And so it, it's something that impacts all of us. Mm. Um. Yeah, I think, you know, family relationship is really, really hard and the toughest because you have that blood in you that bond you together, even though, you know, you don't want that connection. It's still, you, you are blood family. That's inevitable. And this type of issue is especially, you know, serious in Asian culture because in Asia, family relationship is even more like, even tighter than in Western culture. And I, I know a lot of people, they gave up their identity just to, you know, please their families, just to make their families happy because they think, okay, my family provides for me. I have to, you know, give up myself to repay that, that thing. And I, I think I, I am kind of lucky because my family is very supportive. But before they are supportive, they, you know, they had a lot of doubt, a lot of concern. 
about me being a LGBTQ person. Um, my mom took like five years <laughs> to actually, you know, accept who I am and become supportive. She was really concerned about my safety. I think, you know, all of us experience these type of like prejudice and discrimination and we fear for our safety. I think that's a really legit concern. So mom, don't, don't worry. I'm, I'm really safe now. <laughs> and after, you know, she had uh, like some marriage issue with my dad, she eventually understand, okay, I don't want my daughter to live in a pathetic marriage with a guy. I want her to be happy. That's when she switched her mindset and become, you know, really, really supportive. And she, she's been involving in many LGBTQ uh, activity in Taiwan. And I'm so proud of her to do that because I think that means a lot. Even though I, I might be unsafe in somewhere, I, I have doubts for myself, things go bad, but the, the fact that she is supportive really means a lot to me. And that makes a huge difference. And I really hope, you know, parents in Asian countries can really, you know, read the message and learn from parents like my mother. You know, it, it doesn't matter what your belief is. My mom is a Christian, so it took a lot for her to really support me. And, you know, as long as you love your kids, you, you can definitely, you know, change. You don't have to change who you are as long as the love is the same. You love your children and that can, you know, let them know, let your children know. And that's the most important thing. And that can fix, you know, a lot of family issues and fix the relationship. Yeah. And I want to point something out about what you said, puppy, like beautifully, beautifully said, that's awesome. And I'm so glad that your mom came around and is like so supportive of you now. And like what I wanted to highlight about what you said is that you, you know, you pointed out like the, from you to your mom, like letting your mom know, like, Hey, thank you for supporting me. Right. And, um, and that your mom could be supportive of you and, you know, like inside of this conversation of, of safety and like that everything's okay. It's like letting your parents know that like, Hey, like everything that you did was awesome. Like whatever you did or didn't do, like the person that I am today, I love the person that I am today. And so whatever worked or didn't work, like, I love who I am and you did your job, right? Because I think parents often come from a place of, did I, did I do my job, right? And our parents have the same, have the same uh, issues that we do, you know, like, and the rest of society does, where it's just like trying to fit everyone in this box, right? And they're like, well, I'm trying to be in this parent box, and did I do an okay job of like raising my kid, even though like they're now LGBTQ or like they're putting themselves in spaces that I like unsafe and or that I deem unsafe, right? And so just like being able to let your mom know that like, hey, you you did your job. And like and then her being able to like let that go and like have you be free. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and that is that that's amazing because what what I'm hearing is that there's 
there's a lot of acceptance, both internal and external acceptance, you know, um, and even if not acceptance, just, you know, look, let me do my thing that I'm hearing from everyone, you know, on, on, on the, on the podcast. I'm curious, acceptance is one thing, you know, what are other things that Pete, that parents or other folks can do to, you know, create the safe space and kind of, you know, address some of these concerns that you've talked about? I think for me, it's just be vulnerable and be willing to ask questions. Um, I know a lot of times with speaking with people, they're afraid to ask me questions because they don't want to upset me. Mm-hmm. But I would rather people ask me the questions and then I can clarify than never have the question answered. And I know, you know, and even if it's just telling me that they're concerned for, you know, I know like with my, you know, with some of my family, they're, they, they're concerned for my safety. And just asking, you know, those questions about how safe is Seattle and things like that. That way I can ease them mm-hmm. and clear up any misconceptions that they may have. But just be willing to be vulnerable. Yeah, I think um, I would say like, and this, I, I feel this for everyone in the world, <laughs> but definitely in, in regards to the parents in the, answering the question is realizing that there is nothing wrong with being wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually kind of awesome, and it's one of the most relieving things in the world. Is being like, "Oh, I was wrong. Cool." Because <laughs> I think the conversations with my dad, the hardest things about them are, are I can see this old idea, and this isn't even about like me or coming out. Just like in general, I can see like these old ideas of like, but I need to be right mm-hmm. about something, and it's like, nah, man, they don't. It's like doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Be wrong. It's right. fine. And then, like, also, just, like, saying one last thing on, like, the whole acceptance thing, because, like, the you, you said earlier you're doing a lot of inner, inner work on, like, childhood trauma. Like, same. That's been my, like, last three years. And I think for me, what's been the most powerful is just, like, separating, like, the person from the action regarding my parents and, like, other family members growing up and being able to see, like, who they are versus what, what they did or, or, you know, the intention versus what may have happened. But at the same time, like, so, and this is a conversation I've had many times with my sister is I'll be like, oh, you know, this one thing I never told you about happened growing up. It kind of sucked. Like it didn't, I don't hate anybody for it, but it kind of sucked. And, and what she hears is like, like anger or hatred. And she's like, yeah, but you got to see. And I'm like, no, no, no. I see where they're coming from. And it's like, it's like, it's like learning to forget, learning to forgive without forgetting, I think is, is an interesting concept. So it's like, I, I, I usually use the metaphor of like, if, if you were in a car accident, it's like, hey, it was an accident. It wasn't your fault. My leg still hurts. Mm-hmm. It's no yeah. one's fault. Right. But I'm, I can't pretend like it doesn't because yeah. that yeah. would be undo right. who I am. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think getting to a place where you can recognize like, oh, this is trauma and pain that I felt when I was a child inflicted by my parents, but realize like, oh, my parents are human too with feelings you know, it's complicated. I know they were just trying. They were doing the best that they could. And, you know, I'm alive. So that's saying a lot, <laughs> you know, like you did a good job just in the fact that like, I'm here today and breathing. So, yeah. Big thing I related to is, you know, just like us being in the LGBTQ community, there's no handbook mm-hmm. on how to get through this. You know, for parents, there's no handbook on how to raise someone that is a person of color and in the LGBTQ community and, you know, in the world, 
especially with what's going on now. So that's something I've really had to take on is like, kind of like Brian said, separating and really acknowledging my family for what they, they have done. And then, you know, I love them so much and not just my family, but everybody, friends, people I work with, separating everything. It was an interesting thing for me when I came out to my mom as being trans, because my mom is probably one of the most accepting people. She knew before I did that I liked girls. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me sooner? Why did I have to wait? <laughs> she, she knew before I did that I was trans even, because I used to cry when I was like three about wanting to be a boy and I wasn't. And so I'm like, well, why didn't you say, you know, you could have saved me 30 years, but okay. <laughs> but she had a really hard time when I came out. I mean, I kind of copped out and did it over text message. And it was one of those, I love you. I can't talk about this right now. And I remember just being like, okay, that's fair. But then we just never talked about it. And I would kind of, you know, hey, you want to talk? No? Okay. Are you sure you don't want to talk about it now? All right. And so we did that for a few years and we didn't have a conversation about it until literally the night before I started hormones. And so it had been years at this point that I was out socially and just getting ready to do it. And then I learned about all of her fears and that she was scared for me and that she just wanted me to be happy, but she was scared about what it could mean for me going forward. And that's when I kind of like looked at her that she is just a human with the feelings and she doesn't know what she's doing either. That even though she's an adult here adult than I am, that she has no idea what's going on and she doesn't have the knowledge to have a trans son and it even after then it still took her a while to go from this is my you know introduce me as this is my kid that's what she you know this is my kid to oh i was just talking to my son and that's only happened within the last 10 months and i think a lot of it is because we are around each other a lot more uh she's she's living we're living in the same household again right now, which has been a whole nother thing as an adult child living with your parents. But, but I've definitely have noticed a shift where we're a little bit more comfortable with each other as mom and son versus mom and kid versus mom and daughter. It made me realize that she doesn't know what she's doing just as much as I don't know what I'm doing. And we're yeah. figuring it out together. And, and I think a lot of people need to realize that and that it's okay to change your mind about something. It's okay to change your opinion. It's okay to receive new information and new facts and be like, oh, I have a different opinion on this subject. Instead of just buckling down and being like, no, I can't change my mind because it completely has, you know, causes me to have an identity crisis about who I am and what I think when you receive new information. And that's worldwide. It's okay to change your mind yeah that's so true i mean you know not only us need a safe space everyone needs a safe space even you know straight people white people because we feel threatened when you know our thought our opinion is not standing solidly so everyone needs a safe space and i think a space safe space is like what paul said you know have conversation and ask questions you know not only other people can ask us we can also ask them so what do you think about this i know it you know people get get scared that they will offend us with all sort of questions but i want them to ask questions it's really important you know to explain things directly instead of you 
trying to imagine the answers yourself. That, that's where, you know, stereotypes and discrimination come from. We want the conversation to happen. And that's how we eliminate the stereotype, the discrimination, and to actually, you know, start the transition of opinion of your thought and to, you know, get everything together. I mean, all of you are just superb human beings. I mean, just, just listening to all of your experiences and, you know, your thought processes, I'm just, I'm honored to be on this call with you. So thank you so much for sharing and for providing the, you know, doing the emotional labor to just kind of have this conversation because, you know, it's, it's hard to even just come out and say, hey, my, my, my experience with my parents was not great. And you're sharing that with us. And that's just huge. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off of Jamie. Like, thank you. Thank you for doing, you know, this work. And I have, you know, an acknowledgement and then I have a, a question. So my acknowledgement is just for anyone who's listening, who is not a person of color in the LGBTQ community. Like one of the things that I'm really getting out of this conversation that I hope other people are getting is the when you are someone who has to deal with these things, like, you know, everything from like, how am I safe in these situations to how do I be my authentic self to having to do the work, like all of you have had to do the work of separating, you know, the, you know, the, the humanity of someone versus like the intent of what they're saying versus like how, you took what they said, and then all of you have had to mantle all of that in order to just be okay with, you know, the experiences that you've had and the, the people in your life that love you. You know, we've talked a lot about family today. And so I, what I want people to take away, one of the things that I want people to take away from this uh, episode is that if you are someone who is, has privilege in any way, whether that be white, whether that be hetero, whether that be passing, whatever that is, to really take on that emotional responsibility of yourself as well. You know, being a LGBTQ plus person, being someone of color, you kind of have to, like you're forced to take that on. And so if you do have privilege and you're listening to this conversation, I want like my charge to you is to take on the emotional responsibility of where you get confronted by someone else's identity and unpack that in yourself first. And then, so that's what I'd love to, for people to, to get out of this episode is unpack that in yourself first and accept all of those things in yourself first and then see how accepting you are of other people because I guarantee that you will be more accepting and that the conversations that you have with people who aren't like you, who don't fit in those quote-unquote boxes, will be much more productive, safe, even effective. Having effective communication. Yes, yes. So I'd love to, my question to you all is, I'd love for everybody to go around and just say either what you got out of being on the episode today or what you want people, like what's the number one takeaway 
that you want people to get? I'll go ahead and go first. I think the biggest takeaway, kind of like Brian touched on earlier, it's it's very refreshing hearing other people's stories um, and knowing that you're not alone, that they've gone through, even though their paths are a little bit different than yours, it's still, you know, we all kind of talked about worrying about safety and things like that. So it, it's refreshing to know that it's not just me. I'm, I'm not the only one that has that problem. <laughs> I guess the biggest takeaway I would, you know, put out there is just for people to kind of just keep an open mind and just see that it's not what like television makes it out to be. Like we're all like happy go lucky and partying and everything like that. Like we are actually dealing with not you know, always episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we're I mean, we're actually dealing with, you know, like how how can we be our true selves at work, at home, in public? you know, on trips, like there's a lot of work put into this. I want, I want to piggyback off that. Definitely to a lot of stuff that Paul just said, it's so good to feel like I'm not alone. It helps. It goes miles. And to that last part too. Yeah. Like it's not all, it's not all partying and, and will and grace. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I feel like, I feel like this is something I even want to say to people in the LGBTQ space that like are out, but like don't want to do the work because I feel like you hear about all these stories, the struggles of the, the, the going through the sludge of the trauma and the hurt. And, and even me, like I, I, I have a habit of like always emphasizing that and kind of almost glorifying it. But the thing I think I often forget to say is I love me now <laughs> after going through all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard and it sucks and it's uncomfortable and there's tears you don't want it to be and you lose some friends and you gain some, but man, like it's so good and I cannot explain how. And so I just, I just encourage anybody who's like, I'm, I don't want to have that conversation. I'm afraid. It's like, yeah, you will be afraid. And it's going to suck. But afterwards, like, oh, please believe me. It's, it's a, it's paradising the other side of the black hole. So I am the most yeah. <laughs> I am the most me I've ever been in my entire life right now today. Like I have never been <laughs> so like and it's it's so validating and sometimes I think back I'm like holy crap. Like sometimes I'm like holy crap I did it first of all. <laughs> it's so much easier to not do it, but I I'm somebody that firmly believes like if it's easy it's not worth it. Like you got to go through the suck to get to the good parts. And my, like Brian and Paul said, like just knowing that y'all feel the same way that I do is so relieving because sometimes, especially being a person of color in the community, sometimes it just feels really isolating and like nobody else understands what it's like to be the demographic in the demographic in the demographic, you know, yeah, right. I, you know, and just the takeaway is for other people, like we're all just doing our best and, and some of us are doing less best and some of us are doing more best, but we're all just trying to get through this experience and it would be a lot less crappy if people just loved each other just a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. I really feel that. I feel the same way you do, Caleb. Like, I feel the most like myself right now. And that is so beautiful. And to think about, like, the journey that I've taken and just, like, I'm so happy to be queer. And, like, I wouldn't want to be anything other than that. And so, yeah, I think I would love for people to know that, yeah, it, it is a difficult 
journey, but it's so beautiful because I mean, isn't that what life is all about is embracing who you are and living um, like to the fullest. And for me, like the fullest is being completely who I am unapologetically who I am. And that has made my life so much richer and colorful. Uh, And so I would hope, and I hope that people can embrace who they are and get out of this like mentality of sticking everybody in like a weird box. I mean, really no one wants to be in a box. Uh, the whole reason we come out of the closet is because it's not fun to be stuck somewhere, you know? (laughs) So, and I love, I love just engaging and connecting with other queer people. It feels good to know that other people are, are struggling or dealing with the same things that I'm dealing with. I think as queer people or just as human beings in general, we have a tendency of thinking that like we're alone in the things that we're dealing with. Um, and then you, you know, talk to somebody else and they're, they're telling you, oh, I go through the same thing. And you're like, holy crap. Like, actually, like, we're not all that different. We all kind of go through the same stuff. So like, why can't we just like get along with each other? Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to say, you know, every single you, including myself, are so beautiful. And thank you all so much you know, for sharing. And for anyone who is watching this, I, I want to say you don't have to, you know, fit in to any label, any box. You don't have to just be yourself. It can be difficult, but it will be the most beautiful thing that, you know, in your life. And if you are encountering any difficulties if you are having a hard time it will get better you know seek help you know have a support network there is always someone who loves you for who you are so don't give up never give up beautiful for me you know when you are your most authentic and your most your most truthful self you give the world a gift and, you know, and you give us the privilege of actually knowing who you really are, you know, as opposed to some, what you think we want to see. And so what is so beautiful about this is that all of you have given us like your most authentic selves. And it is a beautiful thing. Thank you so much. I am, I am definitely the better for it. And I think the world is better for it. So thank you for that gift. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for everything that you shared today. Paul, Brian, Caleb, Puppy, V, Jamie, thank you for being just the most amazing co-host ever on the planet. And I just want to leave with with my my favorite quote. I'm going to quote myself, but I... <laughs> but it's just that when when i'm free everyone gets to be free yeah that's Mm -hmm. it when i'm free everyone gets to be free you know and really being able to fully step into that so thank you all so much for being free in who you are because when you are free you set other people free so thank you Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for still taking the space. Yes. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, you do it. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm going to teach you this, okay? So you hold apart, hold apart, and then you swish it out, and then you drip it down the walls. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yes. I'm going to throw it up. <laughs> Thank you all so much. I love you. Right. Thank you. Oh, you're amazing. Thank you.